welcome to the Diocesan Digest, a news outlet for the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma. I'm your host, Sarah Smith, Director of Media and Technology. In these short episodes, we will share the latest news, ministry stories, clergy, spotlights, and much more about the Diocese of Oklahoma each week. If you or your congregation wants to share a ministry story or other important news item, or even a particular topic you want to see covered on the podcast, please contact me at smith at epiok.org. week, Diocesan Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministries, Kate Houston, joins me on the podcast to talk about anti-racism and racial reconciliation resources for adults. We chat about some of our favorite books, podcasts, movies, and much more in this episode. Hope y'all enjoy. Here is Kate. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Today I have on our lovely and wonderful Kate Houston. Kate, can you tell everyone your title, because I screw it up every time. (laughs) Yes, I am the Director of Youth and Young Adults, and I am also the administrator, uh, the program administrator for the IONA program um, that we have here in the diocese. That's wonderful. I'm so excited to see how the IONA school develops and evolves over your tenure over that position. Yeah, I'm really excited to be working with Steve Orwig on some of that, and then also just the expansion of our Iona program writ large as that kind of comes out. So yeah, we'll do a whole nother. Very exciting. Yeah, we'll do a whole nother episode on that because I think people want to know all the opportunities that are going to come up. But today we are going to talk about anti-racism resources, specifically this episode we're going to do on adult resources, but then we're going to do some more on youth and children's resources as well as an episode on like what folks in the diocese are doing our churches and our clergy are trying to help educate and be true allies and create some community and healing some reconciliation which our wonderful kate houston has a lot of experience in but let's let's uh open it up with where you want to start with adult resources kate I'm really excited to talk about adult resources. I think one of the things that we as Episcopalians really do well is learn. We have a thirst for knowledge and a thirst for, as a, as, as a people, right? We have a thirst for knowledge and a thirst to understand the world around us and how God, we see God in that world. And so I'm very excited to talk about some of the adult resources that are out there and available um, I think I'd like to talk a little bit about books first. The I just saw an article this morning as I was kind of putting together my list of books that I wanted to talk about that almost all of the top 10 books on the New York Times bestseller list are either anti-racism or adult fiction written by authors of color um, and featuring stories of people of color. And so that's just amazing. And that was a really cool thing to kind of come across this morning as I was putting together my list. I think uh, starting with some nonfiction might be the best way to start. One of the most popular books that people have been buying um, 
and that I had my adults uh, read when we took um, my adult sponsors for the racial reconciliation pilgrimage that we took almost 30 kids on last summer on a civil rights pilgrimage. Um, one of the books that I had the adults read was a book called White Fragility. And it's the title, the long title is White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. And basically, we all have a lot of statements that we say, I'm guilty of that, or we kind of use to justify things to ourselves. And the book uses some examples, you know, I have lots of black friends, or I don't see color, and I, I voted for Obama, you know, a, something more for maybe my mom, you know, I marched in the 60s, and my mom did, and I wonderful stories listening to her talk about her experiences about marching for civil rights in the 1960s. But why those are statements that are more platitudes and not actually talking or addressing the question of race and why we need to really dig in and address those conversations. And so the adults that went on that pilgrimage read that book and all of them said that that was kind of the book that really gave them language and knowledge, both some historical, but also about how to talk about race with other people when they didn't really have the language. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that you get from that book is having language to talk to other people about race, which yeah. is what we don't have. I haven't read that book yet. And I think it's, it's a really, it seems to be a really important book that yeah. I want to clarify it from what I've heard about the book that it, it kind of, it focuses on the white experience of, yes. of, so the, you got to make sure you understand like, you know, that what that book's trying to do is, is understand the white mind around race and it, it doesn't yeah. center the black experience, which I think no. is the compliment that you must do after you read that book or maybe in yeah. that book yes. is, is making sure you're, we're also, and we're going to talk more about this, listening to black stories, black experience, but I think there is something to reading a book that gets into the white mind of how we conceptualize race and how we can be mindful of the ways in which we, you know, screw that up or miss, you know, aren't intentional or misunderstand, you know, or just those unconscious things, that unconscious bias uh, that we have to just be aware of. But I, I do think from what it sounds like, that is an important piece for white folk um, is to understand ourselves and, yeah. but then next, like understand and hear black experience. And I think that's the thing about anti-racism work is that you kind of have to give, you have to know where you're starting. And so when we start with anti-racism work, I, and I can talk about my own experience starting with anti-racism work, I had to really educate myself, um, both with language, with history. Um, and I thought I knew the history. Um, and I did in some ways, right? I mean, I knew the big storyline. I could have put everything on a timeline relatively close together, but the history wasn't, knowing the history wasn't enough. I needed to, in terms of the dates and the events, I needed to really dig into that history, the stories of that history. And then I also needed to deal with my own issues and my own biases and my own lack of knowledge and understanding. And so I think a lot of the books that we're going to recommend are, are either an either or category. They're going to talk about 
some of the, the, the Black experience in particular for this podcast. Um, I'd really love for us to look at doing um, a podcast in the future about our Native experience and, and our immigrant experiences and, and other, our Latinx experiences. I think that would be fantastic. Today, we're focusing more on um, the Black experience. And then looking too at this question of what do we as white people, me being a white person, what do I need to do to make sure that I am educated and that I, who somebody who is engaging in ancient racism work in our diocese, particularly with our young people, that we can make sure that we're doing, that we're they're doing it in the best way possible. And so some of these books help with that part. Man, I, I like talking about too, just the, the kind of the, what's the word, the posture or like the mindset you have to take with this stuff. Yeah. I just want to touch on that really quickly before we talk about more books, but just like being open to understanding another experience and doing the hard work of being self-reflective, like I said, of like the ways in which we are complicit in these things is really tough. It's really, really hard. I took one of my first classes in divinity school was African-American social ethics with professor Stacy Floyd Thomas at Vanderbilt and 60% of my classmates were black and the rest of us were white. And I'll never forget sitting in class and we, we read, um, W E Du Bois's, um, the soul of black folk book, oh, yeah. which is another one I'd recommend just yes. hearing like firsthand an, ex- an extremely educated black man back during, uh, the segregated South and just how he articulates the black experience. And I, I bet like, if you'd read our contemporary, like black leaders, like I bet what they're saying is probably the same thing. And that book was written, what, 150 years ago? I'm not sure. But anyways, I just remember his big thing was like, you know, black folk are walking around every day as if they're the problem. And then the the black students, we kind of had this discussion. We broke it up, the black students and the white students. We're on either side of the table. And I remember one of my black friends looking at me. Which is a real physical divide too, right? When you think about it, it's this, you create a a table and then you create an actual image of a divide which is really I mean that's important for us to kind of visualize and think about yeah it was really powerful and it was very intentional like the the teacher had a point for for doing this and having us sit across from one another and then the black students flipped that script on its head and looked at us the white students said what does it feel like to be the problem looking at me and I didn't get it I I just, I did not understand the rhetorical move that was being made Mm. until a couple years later. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm the problem that like that. That's the whole thing of racism is that white folk make people of color the problem where we're in reality, we are the problem. We need to be doing the work. And that's, that's what we're talking about today is how we can start dismantling those mindsets of like that we don't, we have the privilege of never thinking about the black experience because it's not our experience. Right. But we're, I think right. we have the white privilege experience. And so when we talk with, when we were doing our anti-racism training with our young people and with our adults, 
one of the things that I thought was really important for us to acknowledge was that we did not create the systems that exist today. We did not set them up. We are not responsible for the history. We are not responsible for the um, systems and the injustice that we see in the world today, but we are responsible to it. And so we have, um, as Christians, as Episcopalians, in our baptismal covenant, we have the responsibility to do something in the world to make it better and to fix and to address and to name and to walk for and stand for justice in society for those structures that we have benefited from over time, whether it's education or questions about incarceration, housing, access to you know, social services, inequality in society. I mean, you can just keep going on down the list and that we have a responsibility to address that injustice. So yeah, we're not responsible for it. Although some of us need to do some hard work and look at our own family histories, my family history in particular, I, you know, I've done some work on that and that's hard. Um, the Episcopal Church, right? We are, as an institution, have a history of racism and prejudice. Um, my really good friend, Andrea McKellar, just said, yesterday that she realized that in the diocese of South Carolina, they just recognized African-American members in 1965 until that they were not full members. 1965. And I just wouldn't have even thought about that. If you're baptized, you're baptized, right? I wouldn't have even, it wouldn't have even thought about how that worked, that you wouldn't be considered a full member, um, not by right of your baptism. And so it was really an eye-opening moment for me just to read that text from her. And so I think we I think we have to kind of switch our mindset. We don't have a responsibility for it. We have a responsibility to it, which means we are called to face injustice and to stand up to it in society. Yeah, that's such an important distinction. Thank you for that. So another book I'd recommend kind of in that vein of um, learning about race, giving yourself some language, the the history of racism there's one there's a book called stamped from the beginning which is the definitive history of racist ideas in america and there's kind of a like a companion book which is called stamped and it's racism anti-racism in you and so it's kind of a, a remix of the first book but it does a lot of really good it does a really good job of telling the historical narrative and the historical pieces of racism where racism comes from in our experience so all the way back to, you know, Puritan, Cotton Mather, Thomas Jefferson, talks about W.E. Uh, du Bois, and then all the way up to today when we talk about current activists. And so it does a really good job of kind of giving you the, the long view of history with respect to racism that I think is important alongside that, but also a voice that I think is really important that is probably known to a lot of people is Henry Lewis's Gates new book called Stony the Road which is about kind of the history of the African-American experience um, post-Civil War um, during the Jim Crow era. Just came out not too long ago. It's excellent, and I really enjoyed reading it, both for its historical components, but also just the stories. There were real stories in there that really made you kind of question where, where was justice 
during this time period and why were people silent? Um, and so that that's a really strong book, I think, for telling the stories. And then one more that I would suggest for adults just in general is a book. It's, it's also been on the bestseller list in recent days, which is Me and White Supremacy, How to Combat Racism, Change the World, and Become a Good Ancestor. So that book has also had a lot of kind of press attached to it, but it's, it's a solid, really good book. When you talk to, like, what does it mean to be an ally? What does it mean to examine your own privilege? So it really digs into a lot of these issues. How do you view racial stereotypes? How do you name them? What's cultural appropriation? What language do we use? And then how do we actually take that knowledge and create social change, which I think is the really important piece, is how do we take that and then create social change in our world? And that's, that's a really, I think, important book and what it really contributes is that last piece. So. I wanted to offer up some theological resources for adults. Um, yeah. I studied a lot of black theology in divinity school and is, is still a passion of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, anything by Katie Cannon. Katie's kind of the, the godmother of, of black theology. Kelly Brown Douglas in our own tradition. Yeah. Mother Kelly Brown Douglas is fantastic. She's got several, several books. She's just a, a really powerful voice still in the Episcopal church for racial change and racial reconciliation. Um, and then James Cone, who's also called the father of black theology in his mm-hmm. book, um, in particular, the cross and the lynching tree is it's incredible. I, I, really I just bought that and I'm so excited. It's on my summer reading list. I'm yeah. really excited to dig into that. I really think white Christians, that's like a must read um, yeah. for me, if you're going to be a Christian um, and understanding the, the deep spiritual and theological kind of intertwining and parallels to Christ's crucifixion and black experience. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's really a beautiful, tragic book. And it, it's, um, it just makes you think about our theology in a, in a different light that I think yeah. is really helpful. And James Cohn is, is just a, a brilliant mind. So he's, he's fantastic. Also, I also really love all the kind of black mystics. Um, Howard Thurman, you know, is, is someone I've always really enjoyed reading. He's a Christian mystic. Um, really good stuff. Um, and just our contemporary, like, memoirists and, like, kind of social yeah. commentators like Natasha Coates and Austin yes. Channing Brown. The Both of their pieces are on the New York bestseller right now, too. And really And not just you know, Tanasi Coates, not just nonfiction, right? Memoir, kind of the memoir um, genre that you see, but also um, nonfiction, or sorry, fiction, The Water Dancer, um, which I read last year and was amazed by. It was so good. Tells the story of Hiram Walker, who's a young slave, who has a gift. um, And you just kind of learn, you kind of walk this story with him. And so it's, it's really amazing. It's a great book. Um, and also in terms of not, uh, fiction works that are really important to the black experience and black community, um, the color purple. Oh yeah. Um, Octavia Butler's, um, you're talking about kindred or parable of the sower. Parable of the sower. Thank yeah. you. Parable of the yeah. sower. 
Beloved. Beloved, um, that was the other also one. Also just an amazing, I actually just finished that um, about a week and a half ago. So I did something a couple of weeks ago, I posted on Facebook and I was kind of inspired by a friend of mine who had posted on Facebook, I've not, I'm not reading enough authors of color give me your best recommendations. And I thought, you know, I have this huge library at my house. I wonder how many authors of color I have on my bookshelf. And so I went in and I started pulling just the fiction. And if you've ever been in my house, you know, I might have a book addiction. And so I started just pulling the fiction of authors of color and both people who write about American experiences, also international. So just a real range. And I didn't have a single full shelf. And I was embarrassed. As somebody who, A, engages in anti-racism work, and B, loves to read stories about the American experience and what that experience looks like for all different kinds of people, and love reading stories about different cultures, I was horribly embarrassed that I didn't have enough stories, enough books from people, authors of color, could, that would fill an entire shelf on my bookshelf. And so I really went, I'll, I spent more money than I um, would probably ever tell my mom that I actually spent, but I went and bought a whole bunch of books, really looked at just fiction. And I decided that my summer reading was going to be just reading authors of color. And from, you know, fun stories to serious stories across the map, but that I really challenged myself that that was gonna be what I was gonna spend my time doing. And I'm really excited about that. They're all sitting currently on my fireplace mantle. And um, it's, uh, it's, I'm really excited to kind of get going on that. But I just had finished Beloved and that kind of inspired that, um, that as well. It's a great book. It's yeah. a hard book, mm-hmm. um, but it's a great book. Mm-hmm. Other fiction um, books that I can think of that I think are really good, anything by Colson Whitehead. So he wrote The Underground Railroad, which won all sorts of prizes. And then The Nickel Boys is his more recent work. But it talks about The Nickel Boys, which was at the, the real, a real life story, which was the Dozier School for Boys in Florida. And he takes a, I mean, a, a haunting kind of tale of it. It's, it's not a, it's a fictionalized tale of some of the boys who lived there. But that school has basically a secret graveyard where they buried boys who attended that school. And it tells about what happens behind the walls of that, of that institution. Um, and it's a hard read too, but a really, I think, a necessary read. Do you have any other fiction? I'm not a big fiction reader, Kate. <laughs> I could go on and on about theology. Um, <laughs> about theology. <laughs> In terms of, I was going to give another genre of poetry. Yeah. I love Audre Lorde. Always have like yeah. been a big Audre Lorde fan. Maya Angelou. Yes, um, yes. And memoirs by Maya Angelou. Yeah. So good. I wanted to lift up two Black-owned bookstores in Oklahoma that I know yes. about. Nappy Roots in Oklahoma City, which is on Spring Lake Drive. I'm trying to see where this is located. Kind of the Spring Lake East Side area. Mm-hmm which is kind of like a black neighborhood, kind of near the Oklahoma City Zoo. And then in Tulsa, Fulton Street Books, um, they do a lot of cool stuff up there. And, and, oh, I've never been there, huh? Yeah, it's really interesting. They have a beautiful website and are doing all sorts of community 
education and conversation. You, they actually have like a bundle where you can buy like an, uh, what do they call it? Like an ally book. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That would be amazing. And yeah. so like for three months, each month they send you like two books and some access to resources online to like educate yourself. And like, I'm totally going to do that. Cause yeah. even if I have the books, I'm, I, I will give them to someone else. Exactly. Right? I just, I have a, I have a bad habit of accidentally clicking two on Amazon. So I did that with just mercy just came, which we haven't even talked about just mercy, Yeah. but that just came uh, and I had two of them. And so I gave a copy to someone else who I, you know, thought would like reading it um, and needed to read it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Awesome. We also want to talk about um, some podcasts and some movies. We know not everyone's a reader and which is something I don't understand, but you know, give you some alternative things as well. And so, you know, looking at podcasts, um, there's, there's a lot out there um, and it's kind of exploded obviously over the last, particularly the last month. And, but so when I was kind of looking at podcasts and looking at the ones that I've either listened to or that I have been recommended to me, I didn't look at a whole lot of the podcasts that are podcasts that are just now kind of addressing race. So these are more podcasts from the Black experience or in the case of one more historical, and that's the New York Times 1619 podcast, which has had you know, if you, it depends on who you talk to. So the information, it's really good. Um, I think it's really, I think it's a really educational podcast. There are some problems with it and you can kind of read about those online if you want to kind of see if you want to use it, but educationally, it's a great podcast. And so that's kind of a historical one. And then there's, there's actually a lot of really good other kind of podcasts who are dealing with race or racism talking about the black experience. So one of the ones that I have been listening to is one called Good Ancestor. And the, so she actually is the author of Me and White Supremacy, um, the book we just recommended that kind of came about from like an Instagram challenge. But her podcast basically features conversations around race, identity, leadership, personal transformation, social change, talks about motherhood, racial complexities around birth, uh, white saviorism, you know, so just, but they're, it's really good podcast. Um, and they do kind of one hour episodes with one person. And so you kind of deep dive with that one person who's, they kind of describe as a change maker or a social entrepreneur, um, a culture shaper. And so that's a really good one that I think do you have any that you listen to? There's, again, I'm a theology nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, it's called Four Collared Girls, and they're black women theologians. Oh, who, I love it. Who talk about That's theology. a great name. Yeah. <laughs> who talk about theology. So they're the biggest one that I, I listen to and I enjoy. Mm -hmm. Also, Brene Brown just interviewed um, Austin Channing Brown and yes. um, mm -hmm. Dr. Ibram Kendi about his book, yes. The Anti-Racist. Yeah, so, it's also a fantastic book. Yeah, even if you just search for some of the cool authors, um, there's usually someone's done a podcast with them, and you can really yes. get like a detailed, intimate feel of the book before you buy it, or just getting more context, I think is, I, I always enjoy doing. 
Yeah. So one of one of my favorites is Code Switch. Mm. Um, so NPR's Code Switch, which is kind of a race and culture conversation uh, weekly. They kind of tackle issues of race pretty fearlessly that you see in the news cycle. So there are conversations around police brutality and black death, mass incarceration, um, protests. So I think that's a really well done kind of contemporary conversation about topics that we see. And so that's that's one that I really like. Another one I really like is Yo, Is This Racist? Which is a kind of funny, it's, it's a humorous podcast. It's, it's meant to be a kind of a humorous, it, there's also a blog with the same name, the same authors but they basically have a kind of a question answer format where people ask questions, write in with questions, and then they address it. So they talk about, you know, is that racist? Why the history of a comment? They'll kind of deep dive into that, but it's, so it's, it's humorous. They're funny. So there's a, there's a lightheartedness to it. And yet you're really digging deep into hard conversations and hard topics. And so people talk about experiences. They talk about comments that have been made to them. They also talk about, you know, their own things that they've said to people. So, so we, um, the last kind of area that we were going to look at was film and movies and some movies that we have that are good for talking about race. There's obviously a lot of stuff out there right now. If you just scroll into Netflix or Amazon Prime, you can see Just Mercy, which is fantastic. Um, and if you've never been or gone to the website for Eagle Justice Initiative, the Legacy Museum, and they also have the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, which is kind of known more, I don't wanna say popularly, but I guess that's, I guess that's the word we use um, as the lynching memorial, um, because that's what the memorial kind of memorializes is it has um, names of people who have been lynched. And it really, it really goes through the history of lynching and that lynching um, is not just what we think of it as historically, but that that lynching for women included things like rape um, and sexual assault. Um, and so it's a really powerful memorial. And then the Legacy Museum, which is kind of the counterpart to that, also part of the Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery, Alabama, um, and came out of kind of the work done around Just Mercy and the, the author of Just Mercy but that museum really tells the story of enslavement to mass incarceration and how enslavement isn't just about slavery, um, but that it set up a system in which slavery to some extent continues today, right? With mass right. incarceration through Jim Crow. And so it tells that story, but. And the good movie to watch on about yeah. the history from slavery to mass incarceration is 13th. And yes. You got to, you gotta be, you gotta get your mind right before you yeah. watch that movie because it will mess you up. Yeah. But it, it's so important. And I think as Americans, like, and I hope, you know, this type of anti-racist education is in our school system at some point. And that's gotta be one of the seminal movies that you have to watch to understand how, how racism systematically has progressed in this country. Yes. I haven't seen that one yet. I just watched Just Mercy the other night. And again, Brian, based on Brian Stevenson's book, but I'm, I'm wanting to watch 13th. That's kind of one of those movies that like you do really need to be in the right mindset for. Like you've really got to 
be ready for it to bring up some things that you need to think about and deal with. Uh, do you have any other phones? Um, not off the top of my head. I'm just trying to like each week watch a new one that yeah. Netflix or Amazon has on their list and that people yeah. have been talking about just to learn about the history. But man, 13th, I think is a really good place to start, even though it's tough. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of movies out there that are about historical events like Selma. We had our, um, our youth and adults watch Selma before we went on the pilgrimage last summer. Um, that's a powerful movie. Um, Mississippi Burning, The Color Purple. You know, there's there's a whole there's a whole bunch out there, um, and even ones that tell stories that we need to hear that we have uh, kind of been lost a little bit. Um, Hidden Figures, for example. So looking at Black women, which I think you know sometimes we we tell the story we tell stories and we we kind of forget. Um, of the role that maybe women and children played as well in these stories. And so holding up Black women, um, I think, is also important in their stories and their contributions as well. One film that I'd like to talk about that we've featured here in the Diocese of Oklahoma, we've actually had the people, uh, Katrina Brown, who's the filmmaker, come and talk about this film, um, is a film called Traces of the Trade which um, a story from the deep north and it's effectively about the consequences that we see today about slavery and to some extent the experience that one family had when they really confronted the fact that their family was responsible for that someone in their family had been responsible for um, being in the slave trade um, and once one of the largest slave traders in the Northeast um, and it really in the country at the time. And they confront that history and talk about it and they kind of deal with it and they go on a journey. You know, they, I think what's really interesting about that is it has an Episcopal connection. And so the, it makes the story a little bit more applicable to us in our own context a little bit. I really, when I watch this, it's a story that I could have seen my family having a conversation about. I had family that came over in the late 1600s and lived in um, the Hudson Valley of New York and who owned slaves. And that's a conversation that is a hard one for my family to kind of talk about. But you kind of have to, you need to have those conversations. You need to understand what that means, that my family is responsible in some ways. Again, it's that responsible for versus responsible to, right? Um, they were responsible for that, but I'm responsible to it. And so acknowledging it and doing what I can to educate myself and to educate others and to address injustice. So Traces of the Trade, it's a really good watch. It's a really good discussion starter, I think, um, in churches. And so, and we have copies of it here at the diocesan office if you, if you want one. So. Yeah, I think this is, this is all really good, Kate. We have well, I think this was a great amount of resources, Kate, and thank you so much for sharing these things. And I hope folks can just have some tangible takeaways of how to engage with these questions and interrogating, you know, whiteness, uh, for lack mm -hmm. of a better word. And and this is spiritual work. This mm -hmm. is this is God's work in our souls and in our lives and in our communities. 
Um, and I, I think this is a, a definitively Christian task of yeah. reconciling healing. This is yeah. healing work. And it's, it's just so important that we all invest in this. And I, I just, I can't stress enough. And that's why I think the point of this series is how do we take seriously our call as Christians to be God's love and like reconciliative love in the world. And sometimes that starts with us. And that's what we're talking about in this series is how as white folks, can we, can we do our work with our maker, with God, with Christ and ourselves so we can be the example of Christ in the world of what true love looks like. And I think just too, that it's, it's about the work we do, but about we as a, we as a people, we as Episcopalians, right. In all of our diversity and in all of our beauty, um, that we understand that justice is God's call to us. Um, that seeking justice and proclaiming justice are things that we are called to by the very core of our faith, um, by the very core of our, our statements of faith. And so, and that we see those statements throughout our liturgy, throughout our prayer. And I think I have been really buoyed during this time, um, seeing so many Episcopal clergy and so many Episcopalian lay people as well really start to examine themselves, engage in conversations, and and stand up for justice. I think that that's something that I've just been, it just, it's just been a really amazing to see. Um, I'm really excited about the rest of this series. We're going to talk about um, books and movies for youth, um, as well as some resources that we have for youth. We also are going to talk about kids. I'm super excited to talk about kids books. I have a seven-year-old daughter and so that is a, a total love for, my, for me to be able to talk about that. Um, and then we're also of course going to talk um, to our priests and our lay people about what they're doing in their own churches and own contexts and also what's coming up from the diocese on our program that we're going to be offering um, for adults and kids related to racial reconciliation. Yeah. Wonderful stuff, Kate. Thank you so much for your time and join us next week for round two. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us, y'all. Be sure to sign up for the Diocesan newsletter at our website, epiok.org slash newsletter and follow us on all of our social media platforms to stay up to date on what's going on in the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma. See y'all next week and peace be with you.